one semester of law school. One semester of criminal justice. Two experts. I'm Kristen Caruso. I'm Brandy Pond. Let's go to court. On this episode, I'll be talking about the murder of Michelle Martinko. Okay, I know this isn't correct. What? I know in my head and my heart that this isn't correct. Okay. But have you done this case before? No, I'm not so familiar. I'm not. The name, I don't know. Hmm. It's a pretty big case. You might just okay. be familiar with it. Because I'm a genius? Yeah. 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 That I makes think it's sense. a pretty well-known case. I'll, also, I'm a genius. Oh, and you're such a genius. Yes. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> I'm a genius, and my friend Brandy is also here. Aww. Aww. <laughs> That's mean. <laughs> it's, it's okay, because I'm not a genius. <laughs> and I'm not really here. Mm-hmm. Ooh. It's a ghost. Okay. <laughs> I like making ghost noises. <laughs> I can tell you do. Yeah, I really enjoy it. London's very into pretending to be a ghost right now, so we make ghost noises at our house a lot right now. Are you going to be devastated when she inevitably grows out of that phase? I will be. Yeah. I will be. Yeah. Um, it's. I think it's really funny because she's like this like spooky little kid. Like she loves Halloween stuff. She watches like little Halloween song videos all the time. and She murders people. No, I just think it's really funny because like – David and I both really like spooky stuff, but I don't think that we've pushed that on her. And she's just kind of like naturally gravitated to it herself. No, she didn't naturally gravitate it to. No, yeah, no, I never. It's in the water in your house. It's in the water. It's, I mean, I've never once found a Halloween video for her to watch. She seeks them out herself. But like her older brother had a Goosebumps theme yeah. birthday party. Yeah. It's in the water. All right. It's it's All happening. Right. Yeah, she's learning by it's osmosis. It's a bubbling Is cauldron. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think she's prone to this interest because of who her parents are. But yeah. also, you just have a spooky house, ma'am. Wait, my house is not spooky. It's so spooky. It's not spooky. At you got all. the rat lady no, when you walk no right in. Rat lady. <laughs> Anyway, London is more excited for Halloween than she was about her birthday. She wanted to skip her birthday mm-hmm. and go trick-or-treating. Do or a little tradesies. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> trick-or-treating is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it is. You know what's the spookiest part about your house? What? <laughs> Get this, The everyone. beach-themed bathroom. Yes. <laughs> but it's nowhere near, near a beach. beach. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. <laughs> Okay, everyone, Brandy's already sick of my shit. We're four minutes in. Oh, Lord, it's going to be a rough one. All right. You want to hear about this case? It's terrible. Oh, great. Okay. Yeah. No. Oh. No. I'll stop guessing. Okay, that's great. Uh, Okay, (laughs) shout outs to an episode of Dateline, an episode of 48 Hours. Oh, wow. A piece by Jen Moulton for the Little Village Magazine. Chillingcrimes.com. Oh, okay. This is everyone all. It's has everyone. This. It's is everyone. There a 2020 episode. Um, I'm sure there is. I didn't find it. Mm. And Wikipedia. The Wikipedia page on this is Mite. Okay. <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. Just for full disclosure, mm-hmm. the episode of Dateline and the episode of 48 Hours. Yeah. I listened to both of them in podcast form. Okay. You actually watch them. Okay. okay. Thank you. You're welcome. It's all about honesty here. <laughs> <laughs> Wednesday, December 19th, 1979 was an exciting day for 18-year-old high school senior Michelle Martinko. It was the day of her choir banquet. Mm. 
Fuck. Wow. What the hell was that? Banquet was the word I was trying to say, but instead I said, banquet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was a bumping good time. It was the day of her choir banquet at the Sheridan Hotel in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Michelle got all dressed up for the event, something she loved to do. She wore this black dress. It was, I mean, it was really cute. It had these like double spaghetti strap Mm -hmm. situation. She wore black pantyhose and heels. She did her blonde hair up in her signature Farrah Fawcett hairstyle. Oh, hell yeah. Mm -hmm. Michelle has amazing hair. It's beautiful. Yes. Everyone, you can't see what she's doing, but she's I'm doing, doing the, the big wave faucet. thing. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, and and then, if you don't know what that means, we can't, I can't help, help you with you. anything. I can't help you. And then she topped it all off with her beloved calico-colored rabbit fur coat. Hmm. Michelle attended the choir banquet and then headed to the Westdale Mall. The mall was fairly new to the area. It had only been open about two years at the time. And it was a regular hangout for Michelle, her friends, and her classmates. Michelle actually worked at the mall, so she knew a lot of people there. But on this particular night, Michelle had come to the mall on a mission. She was there to pay off the new winter coat her mother had put on layaway for her as a Christmas present. With $180 in her pocket, which was the remaining balance on this coat, so... Man, that was an expensive-ass coat. In 1978? Yeah, it is 79. But yes, expensive-ass coat. Makes a big difference, 78 to 79. I was going to say, thank you so much. The inflation rate was just nuts. (laughs) (laughs) So she goes to the mall. She's got 180 bucks. I think it might have been like actually $187, $86, something like that. But around $180 in her pocket to go get this coat. We will pause until you get the right figure. Different sources said different amounts. I found one that said 186, one that said 187, and then like everything else says 180. So Mm -hmm. I went with 180. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it's fine. I'll give myself lashings over this later. (laughs) I can tell you will. So Michelle took the $180 and she hit the mall. She had asked a couple of friends to join her, but none had been able to because it was a school night. But Michelle ran into several friends from school while she was there. She even sat and ate with one of her friends at the Orange Julius. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Before saying goodbye and continuing on her mission to buy this coat. God, malls used to be such a thing. Yeah. Yeah, so this mall, um, spoiler, it's it's gone. It's not well, there anymore. Of course, every mall is gone now. It closed in 2014. Oak Park Mall's still there. I know. Somehow it and keeps And somehow going. it's like full still. Most malls have like tons of empty spots in them. Not Oak Park Mall. I don't know what the deal is with it. It's a front. Probably is. All right. It's like a mattress it. firm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just full of mattress firms. <laughs> yeah, Oak Park Mall, six mattress firms inside <laughs> So eventually Michelle had to call home because she couldn't figure out what store her mom had put the coat on layaway at. So she calls home, she talks to her mom, and ultimately she made it to the store. She checked out the coat and she decided that it just wasn't for her and she decided not to buy it. Michelle had a very particular style. She loved fashion and beauty and all the things. What was the store? I don't know. I don't know what store it was at. Okay, okay. So Michelle's sister, Janelle, said that Michelle's strong sense of style stemmed from Michelle struggling with a scoliosis diagnosis at the age of 12. So after the diagnosis, Michelle had had to wear this bulky back brace Mm -hmm. for two years. 
And during oh, that, that time, she didn't really want to be noticed. Yeah. She wanted to just blend in. But then after she got her brace removed, she really came into her own. She joined choir and the twirling squad. What? Batons. That is the coolest Batons. shit. Batons. Okay, she made the squad as a sophomore, which according to my research was unheard of. <laughs> uh-huh. And she got to wear this awesome glittery sequined costume with white go-go boots. Yeah. Fucking amazing. Okay, what else would you wear? Yeah, right. I don't know. So anyway, so she'd really come into her own and she tried out a bunch of different like clothing and hairstyles. And by this time, she had just very much like set into her signature look. So after deciding against the coat, Michelle wandered around the mall for a bit before heading home. She was last seen in front of a jewelry store somewhere around 9 p.m. While lots of people had seen and interacted with Michelle at that mall that night. At the mall that night. I think I said Mm. that mall, but, Mm -mm -mm. you know, whatever. Yeah, I was horrified. (laughs) No one could be quite sure what time she left as she had left by herself. She had mentioned over the course of the evening that she was a little nervous to walk to her car alone because she'd had to kind of park far away. Mm. But what we know for sure is that at some point, Michelle Martinko left the mall that night. She walked to her car and she got inside. But Michelle never made it home. Her parents, Janet and Albert Martinko, reported her missing at 2 o'clock in the morning. And the police, along with her friends and neighbors, immediately began searching for her. It was 4 a.m. on the 20th of December, so just like the early morning hours the next day, when police spotted the Martinko's tan and green 1972 Buick Electra. This is a big boat of a car. Right, right. Big old car sitting in the mall parking lot. They went and they checked it out. One of the doors was unlocked. Three, mm-hmm. like there was like two back doors and two front doors and one one door was unlocked. The other three were locked. And inside the car, they found Michelle's body curled into the floorboard oh. of the front passenger side. Her head was resting against the seat, and there was blood everywhere. Michelle had been stabbed and slashed and cut 29 times. Hmm. Most of the wounds were to her face and chest, and Michelle had fought really fucking hard. She had severe defensive wounds to her hands and arms. When the Martinkos got the word about this horrible discovery at the mall, Michelle's mother, Janet, called Michelle's sister, Janelle, and her husband, John Stonebreaker, and she told them that they had just identified Michelle's body at the mall. John would later recall that Janet wasn't really crying on the phone. She was so distraught, but he said it was Mm -hmm. almost like she was gasping for air and choking. Like, oh, it would be so... She could hardly speak. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be so shocking. Mm-hmm. The entire family was devastated. Even, I mean, obviously. I was going to say, But I mean. even more so for Michelle's parents, she had been their miracle baby. After having Janelle, Albert and Janet had tried for 12 years to have another child. Janet had suffered through five miscarriages. Oh, my gosh. Before she finally gave birth to Michelle at 44 years old. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. 
And Janelle, Michelle's sister, said that Michelle was just the perfect final piece to their family from the very beginning. She said that despite their age difference, she and Michelle were always close. They always Mm -hmm. got along. And she said that Michelle was just always a joy to be around. And now she was gone. And she was gone brutally. She'd been brutally murdered. So police start investigating this case. They discovered, you know, what I've already told you. Michelle went to the mall that day to buy the coat. She talked to several friends there. She had the cash on her to buy the coat. The cash was still on her when they found her. Mm -hmm. And she would bought a couple of other things while she was at the mall. And she had like a bag of packages from various stores at the mall. And that was still in the car as well. Police believed that Michelle had left the mall that night, walked to her car, gotten in, But before she could close the door, somebody had come along, shoved her over Mm -hmm. to the passenger side and gotten in behind her and then attacked her. An autopsy revealed that she obviously had suffered multiple stab wounds. Right. And that there was a fatal stab wound to her heart. She had bled to death. Michelle was not sexually assaulted. She was fully clothed when she was found. But police believed that this crime may have been sexually motivated, but because of how hard Michelle fought, mm-hmm. that this perpetrator was unable to follow through with their original plan. Were there no witnesses to this? Zero witnesses. And it happened in a mall parking lot? Correct. Wow. Okay. Yeah. No witnesses. So police went to work trying to figure out, obviously, who had done this. Was this somebody who knew Michelle, somebody that knew, like, had had followed her through the mall? Or was Mm -hmm. this, you know, somebody who saw her in the parking lot and took an opportunity? Police believed that whoever had done this had worn gloves and that the attack had taken place entirely inside the car. So, as I mentioned, the scene was extremely bloody. Right. There was no blood outside the car. So whoever had done this attack had, like, managed to get in the car and, like, close the door before the attack started. Yeah. The reason they believed that the killer wore gloves is because on the outside of the car, in, like, just, like, the surface dirt that's on the car, they found glove marks that were consistent with very common household cleaning gloves at the time. It's a very distinct like chevron pattern in the finger tipping on the gloves. Like a detective literally went to the store the next day, bought the rubber, yellow rubber kitchen gloves, essentially. We all know what you're talking about. And matched them to that same pattern. But we need you to go into more detail somehow. (laughs) You're welcome. So no fingerprints were found. There were a couple of spots inside the car where they found blood that they believed was not Michelle's. So there was a spot on the steering wheel. There was a spot on the gear shifter. They believed that whoever had pulled off this attack had actually started the car and moved it mm-hmm. at one point, maybe intended to take Michelle to a secondary location, and then yeah. something stopped them. And they ended Sounds up just like Michelle stopped reparking them. the car. Okay. Well... Yeah, very potentially. Yes. Okay. But it's even possible that, like, after the attack, they then intended to... to, I see what you mean. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But for whatever reason, the car had been reparked and the attacker had left. They took those couple spots of blood that they believed must have belonged to this attacker. They also believed that this attack was so violent. Michelle's defensive wounds were so severe that she had to have injured her attacker. 
Right. And so they're like, this makes sense that there would be blood in here from her attacker. They took those samples, but it's 1979. And so, like, they blood typed them. That's mm-hmm. all they could do at the time. And they were type A, which is a very common blood type. And despite the fact that Michelle had been seen by so many people in that mall that day, not a single witness came forward and said that they had seen her in the parking lot, had seen anybody near her car, had seen anybody approach her car. No one saw anything. Hmm. So then they just started talking to the people closest to Michelle. The first people, well, I won't say the first person. The first person I'm sure was her family members. One of the first people that they questioned was this guy, Andy Seidel, who was Michelle's ex-boyfriend. Michelle and Andy had met when they were 15 years old at the roller rink. They dated for like two years. He was a year older than her. But Michelle had actually ended the relationship. She said she didn't want to be in a serious relationship. And Andy didn't take it very well. Her friends said that Andy was very controlling Mm -hmm. and... Yeah, that he did not take her breaking up with him well at all. How long ago did they break up, though? Um, a, a significant time before this, but they were still friendly. Okay. So interestingly enough, Michelle and Andy ran into each other at the mall that day. Andy was there. Oh. Mm-hmm. And when he talked to police about it, he said he was there buying Michelle a Christmas present. Huh. And they were like, but you broke up. And he's like, yeah, but we're still friends, you know. But he said, you know, I was at the mall till this time. I left. And at this time, the medical examiner had placed her time of death somewhere between 8 and 10 p.m. But people had seen her in the mall until about 9 p.m. So that really narrows that window really from 9 to 10. And so Andy said he was at home by that time. And his parents corroborated that. They said he was home. He couldn't have possibly been there. And Andy insisted that he was on good terms with Michelle. Like, he would not have done this to her. Like, they were still friends. I assume he had no scratches on him, no He marks. did not. Okay. Nope. Nope. But that didn't stop the rumors from... I was going to say, I mean, that seems like a pretty big coincidence that he's there at the mall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, basically, everyone thought Andy did this. Oh, like, the no. whole town of Cedar Rapids. Yeah. So, this made huge news in Cedar Rapids, obviously. Yeah. It's a town of about 100,000 people, not a huge town. And for something this brutal to happen at the mall, like, this changed the way people lived at the time. Like, young girls, you know, now we're having, like, security take them to their car after they were done shopping, stuff like that. I mean, it really, it really changed things for a lot of people. So, Andy is, like, everybody is thinking that Andy did this. Yeah. He also did this really kind of weird thing at Michelle's funeral. He like stood by the casket and started crying. And then he like reached in and was like, they said he basically, he nearly climbed inside the casket with her. Oh yeah. And she had dated somebody else since they broke up. And at the funeral, he asked Michelle's mother, I just need to know who she loved when she died. Did she love me or did she love this other guy? Yeah, that's rough. Yeah. Based on his parents, you know, corroborating his timeline and everything, he was cleared for the most part. He was never arrested. You know, he ended up after high school, he left Cedar Rapids. He joined the Navy. But even after he left, lots of people were like, well, Andy's the one who did this. Yeah, I mean, it's. What? What's wrong? Why is that? What, what's happening? Is it going to shut down? Is our computer going to blow up? And we're, no, okay, what are you talking about? You didn't see that little box pop up and the computer go. No. Yeah, it did all of that just now. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what 
idea what you're talking it about. It went away. Yeah, I'm sure. It did. Yeah, it was there a minute ago, I swear. No, that that sucks. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to feel. It seems like he didn't do this. Just I know. Uh, but he lived with that yeah. surrounding him for, well, you'll see how long. Until they find the real person who did it? Maybe. Or until they find, well, we just continue on. And Do you think he did it, Kristen? No, I don't. Okay. Because of you. All right. <laughs> because of you. <laughs> they interviewed a couple of other people, like the guy that she'd had had eaten at Orange Julius with. He also worked at the mall. He was just mm-hmm. a friend of hers. He just happened to be on his lunch break, like about the time she showed up at the mall. They like put him in an interrogation room and they did the thing like in the movies where they like slam their hands down on the table and are like, tell us why you murdered her. And he was like, I didn't. And he said, okay, so I believe he is the person that Michelle said like that she was nervous about walking to her car by herself too. And he's like, if I could go back in time, I would have walked her to her car. Why didn't I walk her to her car? Why didn't I offer to do that? Oh, jeez. Yeah. Yeah. But... None of these interviews with any of the friends or anybody that she knew go anywhere. And the Cedar Rapids Police Department had, like, nothing in the way of leads. Like, nothing. In June of 1980, so we're talking, like, six months after mm-hmm. this happened. No, a year. Wait. What? Did it happen in 79 or 78? Yeah, 79. 79. That's you, right. you were very yeah. clear about that. <laughs> <laughs> then I got nervous because I couldn't remember if it was uh-huh. 78 or 79. Uh-huh. So, yeah, like six months after this happens, they release. Okay, this is kind of interesting to me. And I've lost my place, so I'm stalling right now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they release a composite sketch of a potential suspect. What? I, okay. I so, thought there were no witnesses. Right. Okay. So eventually two supposed witnesses came forward. Mm-hmm. And said they may have seen something. They were in the area, but they can't remember. And so they were questioned under hypnosis. Okay. And then this sketch was put together based on what they Hell got from yeah. them under hypnosis. So it was a white man in his late teens or early 20s. He was about six feet tall. He had dark eyes and dark curly hair. Okay. Yeah. I mean... Cedar Rapids, Iowa. That's got to describe every young man in Cedar I mean, Rapids, it, Iowa, it, right? It describes a lot of them, I'm sure. Okay. And so they release this sketch and, you know, they get some tips coming in and nothing leads anywhere. Months went by. Nothing. They put out a, a reward for information leading to the arrest, a $10,000 reward. Again. Wow. Nothing. This case went cold. In the mid-1980s, Albert and Janet Martinko filed a lawsuit against the mall, saying that they failed to provide reasonable security the night that Michelle Martinko was killed in the parking lot. And that case was appealed all the way to the Iowa Supreme Court. But in September of 1986, it was decided in the favor of the mall. Did they have adequate lighting in the parking lot? Or Okay. I don't know. I, that's about all I know about the case. I did read the appeal to the Supreme Court, mm-hmm. and it really does not go into any more detail than that. 
Hmm. It, they got a summary judgment hmm. and just dismissed it. Hmm. What? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, I did the the thing where you cross your arms and you look at somebody <laughs> sideways. That's how you let people know you're disappointed. Okay. <laughs> That case was decided in 1986. Nothing happened with Michelle's case. It remained cold. Albert Martinko died in 1995. Oh. And Janet Martinko died in 1998. Oh, my God. They died this. not knowing who had killed their daughter. But Janelle said that they both believed that it was likely her ex-boyfriend, Andy. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In 2006, a new detective was assigned to the case. It had just been, like, sitting there for years. I mean, you get, mm-hmm. you know, multiple detectives had been assigned to it over the years, but there just wasn't anything to go on. Yeah. So in 2006, this new detective, Detective Doug Larison, took out the file and he started going through it and he read the whole file and he discovered that another detective who had taken this case, you know, a couple years earlier had actually sent off those blood scrapings that were found on the gear shift of the car to get them tested for DNA. But there were no results in the file. The detective had never followed up on the results. Mm -hmm. And so Detective Larison called up the lab and got the results and it turns out that there was they had been able to pull a male DNA profile well, from holy it. shit yeah so like okay this is this is good but the profile was only a partial profile so while it could eliminate a huge percentage of the population it wasn't enough to identify her killer okay and so they needed more And so then, because Detective Larison knew that DNA had really, you know, advanced, obviously, since 1979 when this took place, he decided to have another look at the evidence in the case. So Michelle's dress, obviously, had been taken as evidence, and it had a lot of blood on it, her own blood. Mm -hmm. And they decided to test it to see if there maybe was anything else on it as well. And when they tested it, they found a spot on it that was not Michelle's blood. And they were able to pull a full DNA profile off of it. Holy shit. And it was a male DNA profile consistent with the partial profile mm-hmm. that they pulled off that gear shift. So they now had a DNA sample of Michelle's killer. So they got Andy. Well, to, to put, put the brakes on. No, speed put up. The brakes. I, I know. say. So they put... They pedal they, to the metal. Stop it. <laughs> so they enter that DNA sample into CODIS. You know, the government. Yeah, but DNA they're not going to find anything. Millions of samples in mm-hmm. it. No, Don't find anything. No match. No match. So then. They find Andy. They go back and they start testing anybody who is willing to give a DNA sample whose name has been in this report so far. And they end up at Andy's house. Don't get mad at me. I'm not the one who did this. <laughs> And Andy agrees to give a DNA sample. He voluntarily oh, gives shit. one. Oh, shit. Okay. And it wasn't him. Yeah. Oh, poor guy. After almost 30 years. And her parents thought he did mm-hmm. it. Andy was finally cleared. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. Janelle talks about this either on the 48 Hours or the Dateline episode about how her parents went to their grave thinking that this guy did it. Yeah. And he didn't. 
That's kind of an amazing story about how you've got to be really careful with circumstantial stuff. Because, yep. I mean, I hear all that. Yeah. And he was at, at the, the mall, mall that night yeah. buying a present for her. It yep. just sounds like bullshit. Yep. But it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Full steam ahead. Well, we need to do an ad break. Should we do it right now? Oh, God. It's yes. time for an ad. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're back. All right. Do you want to recap the case for everybody, Kristen? Yeah, I've got about half an hour. I'm gonna <laughs> no, I, I want to know that poor guy. Okay, okay so, so he's Andy cleared. didn't do he's it. He's cleared after 30 years of people, his entire hometown, thinking that he had murdered his high school girlfriend. Uh, yeah, I cannot even imagine. That's awful. Yeah. They get this DNA sample, right? But, like, it, st- it still goes nowhere because they mm-hmm. still have to be able to match it with somebody. And eventually, Detective Larison is like, I'm burnt out. I need somebody else to look at this case. Like, I'm getting nowhere on it. So in 20, sorry, in 2015, I was going to say 2016. Boy, was I wrong. Boy, is my face red. Mm. In 2015, Detective Matt Denlinger took over as lead detective on the case. So Matt Denlinger, something that's interesting about him, his dad was one of the original detectives on the case in 1979 when this happened. Wow. Yeah. So he was like a little kid when this happened. He was like five when it happened. And Mm -hmm. so like, but his dad was one of the original detectives. And so he followed the case all this time. Then he became a detective himself and he gets assigned to this case. Okay. Around that time, he started reading about Parabon Nanolabs. We've talked about Parabon Nanolabs on this podcast before. I covered the case of the two teenage girls in Tacoma, Washington that were killed while riding their bicycles. Yes. And they thought for years the cases were linked, and it turns out they weren't. Yes. So Parabon Nanolabs was instrumental in solving that case. They put together first a sketch based on a DNA sample. And, well, first of all, they determined that it was not the same person that did it. And then they put together the sketches of the two potential suspects. And anyway, same thing's going to happen in this case. So he talks to Parabon Nanolabs, and they decided that they would help. Well, I mean, they had to pay for it, obviously. They didn't do it for free. (laughs) So they ask him to send over the DNA sample. He sends it over, and they create a picture of what this potential suspect could look like. They determined, based on the DNA sample, that the suspect would be a white male Mm -hmm. with blonde hair, blue eyes, and then they created different sketches, each with a slightly different look. So they had one of what he would look like in 1979 with a couple of different hairstyles because they didn't know how he would have worn his hair. And then they did an age progression one for, like, what he would look like in 2015. That's incredible. It's nuts to me. Do you want to see them? Yes, I want to see them. Yeah, I have them here. Oh, wow. I guess it really doesn't help the podcast listener to hear me say oh wow (laughs) but what i will say is what a difference a hairstyle it really does i think that's actually really important that they show him with different hair yeah yeah because they look like three totally totally different different people people. from a glance yeah okay that's interesting yeah so they release these sketches they release these sketches that parabon made to the public and they are hoping that they get you know there's no way that's going to work. They hope that they're going to get like 200 tips saying this looks like this guy, right? Uh-huh. Instead, they get 200 tips saying they all look like somebody different. So, right. again, this goes nowhere. But around that same time, so they release the sketches, they get the tips, whatever, nothing really happens. So they follow up some leads, nothing happens. But then Matt Denlinger starts reading about the Golden State Killer case and how they've caught him using genetic genealogy. And Parabon Nanolabs helped with that. And so he's like, okay, maybe there's something that we can do here. 
And so, again, he reaches out and they're like, yeah, let's create a DNA family tree. And so, again, Parabon assists and they search this public national database called GED Match. So they take this DNA sample that they already had. Mm -hmm. They put it into this database where people have voluntarily submitted their own DNA. So this is for people who are trying to track their genealogy. Obviously, they want to know who they're related to, whatever. And so they're like, let's see if we can find a familial link to this sample. And they did. They found a relative of this DNA sample living in Vancouver, Washington. Her name was Brandy Jennings. And they reach out to her. Oh, my God. And let her know that they're investigating this case and that her DNA has been linked to this person. But she is a distant relative. Okay. She is a second cousin once removed. Oh, wow. So basically they share great grandparents Mm -hmm. is the way it works. And so they reach out and she's, you know, let her know about this. And she says that, like, she loves that her DNA was used for this. Like, great. If this is going to if this is going to catch somebody who committed a crime. Absolutely. I'm all in. Use my DNA. Mm -hmm. So then they start building a family tree backward from her and her great grandparents. So. They put together this big tree with the help of Parabon, and then they try and get it as close, like, to if they can find anybody on this family tree that's in Iowa. And they finally make this tree big enough that they find a relative in Iowa, and they ask her if they can test her DNA, and she allows it. And she is the first cousin of the killer's DNA sample. Shit. And so they're like... Okay. Yeah. Like, let's look into your your first cousins. Turns out she has three first cousins. Oh, my God. A set of brothers who all live in Manchester, Iowa, which is 45 miles north of Cedar Rapids, which is where Michelle Martinko was murdered. So then the detectives go to work surreptitiously tracking down those three brothers' DNA samples. So in October of 2018, they start surveilling them. They are Kenneth, Donald, and Jerry Burns. So Kenneth, they follow to a golf course where he has lunch at the club and they collect his straw Mm -hmm. afterward. Donald, they surveil his house. I could have those backwards. It's possible. But we we get the idea. Donald, they they go to his house. They sit outside his house. They wait for him to put trash out. And then they take his toothbrush that he had thrown away. Pull a DNA sample off of that. Jerry, they follow to a pizza ranch in Manchester. Oh, my God. Have you? <laughs> I have been to Pizza Ranch. It's not my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the one that's like a buffet? Yeah, it's a pizza buffet. It's basically a pizza street. Yes. Yeah, it doesn't look good. No, it's not my thing. <laughs> I've only been there one time, and that was plenty for me. Who took you there? I went there with David's family. Okay. Yeah. 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 They drag you there? They did. They did. Uh-huh. Yeah. What they make you sample? They didn't make me sample anything. I had a couple pieces of pizza. Mm-hmm. Seems like you're being kind of a brat about it. I was. I mean, I'm sure I was a brat about it then. I didn't want to (laughs) go. Were you too good for it at the time? I just don't like a buffet. I don't either. Disgusto barfo. Exactly. Yeah. What year was this? It was not that long ago. Exactly. Yeah. Have we learned nothing from 2020? I guess not. (laughs) (laughs) So they follow him to a pizza ranch. He sits and he eats lunch with his son. The detectives sit in the booth right next to them. They're just mm-hmm. like watching him the whole time. And they watch Jerry Burns drink several sodas. And then he and his son get up to leave. 
and they take his straw out of his cup that he mm-hmm. left at the table. And they send all three of those things off to the lab. And one of them comes back an exact match to the sample. The odds that it could belong to anyone other than Pizza Ranch Boy. It is Pizza Ranch Boy. Are one in 100 billion. Okay. That's pretty damn good so you're odds. saying there's a chance. Considering there are 8 billion people on the planet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, it comes back a positive match for Jerry Burns. And so on December 19th, 2018. Holy shit. The 39th anniversary Holy of Michelle's shit. murder. Detectives head to his office in Manchester. So he owns a little business in Manchester. He owns a powder coating business. What? Powder coating. It's like a paint process. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So they go to his office and he's just like sitting in there, petting a cat. (laughs) No. 100%. I I mean, I think that is kind of funny that he's like literally a villain petting a cat. Yes. That's hilarious. Yeah. He's sitting there petting a cat. They bring in Detective Denlinger. He brings in a hidden camera in like a travel coffee cup Mm -hmm. and he sets it down on the desk. And so they record the entire interaction with him in this interview. So they sit down and they're like, we're following up on a cold case, a murder that happened in, in Cedar Rapids, you know, a few years ago. Do... Did he pet the cat as he was being interviewed? Yes. He oh my God. pet the cat as he was being interviewed. He took and made phone calls while he was being interviewed. He sent off a couple texts while he was being interviewed. <laughs> what? Like, it's wild. He's trying to be too cool. He's, exactly. Yeah. That's, so he's doing all of this yeah, shit. That's yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, first the cat's like climbing around his desk and then he grabs it and he's like petting it and like literally villain shit. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they ask him, and he's like, yeah, 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 I kind of remember that case. I remember that case, you know, it's a long time ago. And they're like, okay, yeah. We put out this uh, sketch, and uh, they lie to him at this mm-hmm. point. And they said, we put out the sketch, and a few people called us and said, it looks like you. And so they show him the sketch, and he goes, you think that looks like me? And the d- Detective Denlinger goes, yeah, I mean, I think a little bit, a little bit, enough for me to drive out here and talk to you. And Does it actually look like him? Okay, so I did see a picture of Jerry Burns when he was in high school. Uh-huh. And sure, it looks kind of like him. Okay, but it but looks like, kind of like... Yeah, yeah it looks right. kind of like a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Here is the picture of him from his high school yearbook. Eh, yeah. he's. I mean, really. he's a white guy with blonde hair. Like... Yeah. Yeah. He didn't look very 70s, I gotta say. Well, I think he looks like he's about 40 there, and, and he's a absolutely. high school senior. Like... His bags under his eyes are worse than mine now. Well, this is – he had no choice but to become a criminal. It's the perfect crime <laughs> when you somehow look 20 years older than you actually are. Yeah. OK. So they're like – you know, he's like, you think I you think I look like that guy? And the detective's like, yeah, I think, you know, enough that I, it was worth me driving up here to talk to you. Mm-hmm. And he goes, boy, I think I'd be happy if I looked in the mirror and saw that. Like, like yeah, that guy in the sketch looks way better than I do. Well, he's right. (laughs) He is right. Brady, you can't tell me that that sketch is not an improvement over his actual face. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Sure. You just said he looked like he was 40 when he was 20. Yeah, I know. So if you compare the the age progression version of him Uh to his high school picture, he's maybe a little closer. 
All right. Anyway, <laughs> so then they're like, what would you say if uh, if we told you that your DNA was found at that murder scene? You have any explanation for that? And he's like, no, I have no idea how that how that could happen. And they're like, okay, would you be willing to give us a DNA sample? So at this point, they have his DNA matched to it, but they have not had a voluntary sample from him, which is like the next step in confirming all of this. And he goes, yeah, no, no, I'm not going to give a sample. Mm -hmm. And so then Detective Denlinger pulls out a warrant, (laughs) slaps it on the desk. You made me spit on That would be a very satisfying. It moment. would be. It would be. Oh, oh, oh! You're not going to give me a sample voluntarily. Shabam! Yes. <laughs> and so, and so they take his sample, and they're like, "So tell us, you know, have you ever been to Westdale Mall?" And he's like, "Yeah, you know, I've been there. I, I, I had been there a couple times. Yeah, my wife and my kids, we'd go there sometimes." And they're like, "Any chance you, you were go there? back with your wife and kids? Mm-hmm. Any chance you were there on?" Any chance you murdered someone there? Right, and he's like, no, I just, I don't, I don't remember. That's a long time ago. No <laughs> way, no way to know, you know. And so then they're like trying to tell him that his DNA has been found at mm-hmm. the scene, mm-hmm. and he's like, not either. He's not getting it, or like he just doesn't want to admit that he understands what they're saying because he just keeps saying, "Test the DNA, test the DNA," and they're like, "No, no, no, we already did." Your DNA was found on a murder victim. Mm-hmm. And he's like, test the DNA. Test it. And so they're like, okay, You're we're done here. Face, but I think that's smart. Like if you, if you know that the police are able mm-hmm. to lie to you. Yeah. Well, they're not lying. Well, but he doesn't know that that's they true. followed him to the pizza that's true. ranch. They, he does not know that. He yeah. thought that was just a lovely day eating disgusting pizza. <laughs> disgusting that other covered people pizza. had sneezed on. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so they place him under arrest. Mm-hmm. And then there's this footage of them. I've only heard audio of it because I only listened to the episode. Right. I did not watch right. it. Right. You mentioned that. Yeah. Terrible. So Detective Denlinger is sitting in the back of a patrol car with Jerry Burns and they're like talking. And at some point. Detective Denlinger says something to the effect of, like, do you think you could have done this and you just don't remember it or you've blocked it out? And and Jerry Burns goes, you know, I think I think this could be something that you could you could block out if you did something like this. Oh, well, that's not this. OK, what? Yeah. So obviously the DNA sample that they got from the warrant was then tested and it's also a perfect match. And so Jerry Burns DNA, check, check, check. Anyway, Jerry was uh, officially charged with the murder of Michelle Martinko. So his trial was originally scheduled to start October 14th, 2019. But in September, his defense requested a delay because they needed some more time to gather evidence and interview witnesses. The Prosecution did not object to this, and so the trial was delayed. They also, at this time, the defense also asked for a change of venue because this had gotten so much publicity over the basically 40 years that had gone by that they didn't want this trial to take place in Cedar Rapids. And so that motion was granted as well, and they moved this to Scott County. The trial took place in Davenport, Iowa, in February of 2020. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Why did you say, oh, my gosh, like that? Well, I mean, it's like... 
you're right on the wire yeah, for, for getting it shutting yeah, down. Exactly, so like, COVID. I hope this yes. was a quick trial. Yeah. So we're almost a trial. Hold on. Let me tell you about some pre-trial hearing stuff that happened first. I'll allow it. Okay. In pre-trial hearings, Jerry Burns' defense attorney claimed that his DNA should not be admissible because the police did not have a warrant when they collected it originally. When they collected that straw, they'd had no warrant for his DNA. So all of it should be thrown out. It should not be admissible at trial. That was trash. They're allowed to collect that. Yeah, I agree. Did the judge agree? The judge agreed as well. And so they allowed the DNA in. There was also some evidence that had been discovered through the course of the investigation after Burns had been arrested that the defense did not want in. This included some cell phone browser history and some computer history that included Internet searches for blonde women being raped, blonde women being stabbed, blonde women being strangled. Oh, God. Sexual intercourse with dead person. Oh, my God. Mm Mm-hmm. That's just some of them. There's a bunch more. So they had discovered this in his work computer and his cell phone browser history. He's looking this up on his work. Oh, he, he owns, owns the, the business, business. So he can be yeah. as creepy, creepy as, he as he wants to be. Yeah. That's how we Don't run worry about my here. computer history. That's history. right. <laughs> <laughs> and so the defense argued that this would be prejudicial to him if the jury were to hear about these computer searches and they said it did not pertain to the case in any way because those searches happened almost 40 years after the crime and the judge agreed the judge did not allow them in i i agree with that. yeah i think it's fine if the searches were something much closer to i, gosh, yeah, I don't i don't know, know what the i don't know Blonde what the woman search... stabbed i mean that's pretty rough well, yeah, of course it's rough. A certain, a closer people, in time, you mean? No, I mean more like if he was searching super closely following the this case, case. Yeah, absolutely. That would be of interest yeah. to me. Mm-hmm. You know, when you've told police, oh, what? I don't really remember. But like if you were being super creepy about it, that would be of interest to me. But yeah, a lot of people look at rough porn. Yeah. And they should all be locked up. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> So Jerry's trial finally took place in February of 2020, and he pled not guilty. The prosecution's case is centered entirely around the DNA evidence. Mm-hmm. So they found his DNA on the gear shifter and a spot on Michelle's dress. I mean, they had scientific information that was presented to the jury about all of that. I'm not going to go into all of it. I want We get the to. idea. We don't the DNA. get it. <laughs> the witness that I found the most interesting was the testimony of Michael Allison, so Michael Allison was a inmate who had been bunked with Jerry Burns while he was awaiting trial. Mm-hmm. And he testified about several interesting interactions that he had with Jerry Burns. So he said, like kind of offhand at one point, he said that he wished he had listened to his dad and cleaned up after himself in regards to to this case. Hmm. So this Michael Allison guy said at one point, he just asked him straight out, hey, did you do it? And Jerry Burns didn't say no. He said, I can't talk about the case. Yeah. And then at another point, he said, no one was thinking about DNA as far as it being a possibility in 1979. 
And then at another instance, Jerry Burns and Michael Allison had been playing cards and Michael Allison beat Jerry Burns. And Jerry Burns said, if you beat me again, I'll have to take you to the mall. Hmm. And then you don't think there's anything to this? I don't know. I'm I'm always I know I'm pretty skeptical skeptical when we're talking about. Yeah, because obviously, I mean. This guy gets something in return for this testimony. Yeah. yeah. I think in this case, he got a le- the prosecutor wrote a letter to the prosecutor in his case urging some kind of leniency. Yeah. That's. Yeah. yeah. I think. <sighs> yeah. I think this kind of testimony is bought. Yeah. I mean, you're probably right. His last piece of testimony was that. Oh, I'm sorry. There's actually two more things. So mm-hmm. at one point. Michael Allison says Jerry Burns told him that he feels like no matter how this case turns out, that he won because he had the opportunity to spend the last 40 years having a family. No. You don't think he ever said that? I I don't buy any of this. (laughs) I really don't. Last one. Just because it's so emotionally charged. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It seems like it is crafted to get the jury riled up. Yeah. When there's not other evidence in the case. Right. right. Yeah, I mean there's not a lot of evidence. I mean there's DNA evidence in this case, which yeah, and is that's, huge. Yeah, that's good to me. Yeah, absolutely. But, but you're wanting something else. Yeah. And all of a sudden this mm-hmm. incarcerated man comes forward mm-hmm. and he's getting a little something in exchange for his testimony. I don't know. Okay, so the last thing that Michael Allison said was that Jerry Burns autographed a news story for him about Michelle Martinko's murder Mm -hmm. and that he wrote to my favorite son Michael and signed it Jerry Burns okay just that he autographed the news story is the is the takeaway there Kristen (laughs) yeah I it says a lot to me that nothing in these supposed conversations like actually reveals stuff only the killer would yes absolutely absolutely Okay, so the other piece of evidence that the prosecution Do you believe it? I don't know. No, probably not. I think it's interesting. I think it's possible. I don't think it's likely. Hmm. Okay. Why do you make that face? It's just a beautiful face I have. (laughs) Okay, so then... It's called good genes. (laughs) The prosecution entered some evidence about Jerry Burns' hands. So he did... They believed that whoever killed Michelle would have a lot of scarring or injuries because she fought hard, that they would have cut themselves quite a bit. Right. And Jerry Burns does have scars on his hands, but he also worked a physical job. So he said that's just from his manual labor jobs that he's worked his whole life. And so they did, I think, present some evidence of the scarring on his hands. For their case, the defense said that Jerry was innocent. And then they focused their entire case on telling the jury that DNA evidence isn't foolproof and that there are plenty of other explanations for how Jerry's DNA could have wound up on Michelle Martinko. Okay, let's hear it. Well, so they called Dr. Michael Spence to the stand. He is a molecular biologist, and he talked about how DNA can be transferred. And so Michelle could have just gone to that mall that night which Jerry admits that he's been to before. Mm-hmm. She could have just 
Innocently picked up. Okay, but that's what the prosecution tells you, Kristen. Prosecution told you it was blood, his blood. But do they really know that for sure? Well, isn't... Yeah. I mean, don't they have Here's the what dress? They they... Okay. This is what the defense says. The defense okay. says prosecution's telling you that this is Jerry Burns' blood DNA that was right. found at the scene. Right. But what the truth is that they don't want you to know is that, yes, that sample tested positive for blood. And yes, it's Jerry Burns' DNA. But it could just be it could be Michelle Martinko's blood. But just Jerry Burns' DNA is mixed in with it. There's no way to know for sure that that sample is his actual blood. Could just be skin cells, could be saliva, could be semen, which is concerning. Yeah, okay, so... This is the defense's whole argument. Right, so they're trying to say he, like, walked through the mall that night. Yeah, And she, like... Not even that night, just at some point. I don't think that's the way a DNA sample works, especially when it's, like, 40 years old. So the way... So then... The prosecution, when they rebut this, they say, then how come she didn't have the DNA of every person that she right. that she ran into at the mall that night on her? Right. Also, let's say it wasn't blood. Let's say it was semen. Mm-hmm. He doesn't remember that? Right. Yeah. Give me a break. Yeah. The defense said that the prosecution was making an assumption that it was blood when it could easily be some other source of DNA that she just accidentally just very very innocently picked up inside that mall that day that mall that jerry admits to being at and also it was on two places in her it was on her body and it was on her car yeah so what are the chances of that okay so they ask jerry burns brother that on one of these either dateline or 48 hours i can't remember which one and he says that at one point, Jerry worked at a Buick dealership. So maybe it was the same dealership that sold oh, give me Michelle's car. We are really bending over backwards yeah. here, aren't we? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Yeah. Uh, Jerry Burns' family does not believe that he could have committed this crime. Really? They truly do not. His daughter talked about on the Dateline episode. She says, you hear about all those cases, you know, where someone's DNA winds up at a scene and there's a perfectly good explanation for it. And that's that's what we have here, which I feel for her. I absolutely do. Yeah, I do, too. I can't even imagine what that would feel like for your father to be arrested and charged with this murder that happened when you were either a small child or maybe not even born yet. Probably and not even born. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was 20. He was 25 at the time. Oh, okay. I don't. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I think that it would be impossible to believe that your parent had done something like this. But I don't think there's a plausible explanation for this DNA. No. Other than Jerry Burns is the one who murdered Michelle Martinko. So Dr. Spence said on the stand that Jerry Burns' DNA could have been there at the scene due to transfer DNA. But on cross-examination, he had to admit that he didn't really think that was likely. Right. Yeah. He said in his original testimony, he said it's a distinct possibility. Mm-hmm. And then on cross-examination, he was like, yeah, in my opinion, it's not likely, but it's a possibility. That was the only witness the defense called. They did not offer an alibi for where Jerry may have been that night. That was that was it. 
I actually think that's fairly smart. Mm-hmm. I think the prosecution so. doesn't have a ton here. Now, I think DNA, it really doesn't get much better than no, DNA. No, I, I totally agree. But, but it if is, you, if it you is give... troubling that it's basically the only thing they have because, I'm sorry, that testimony from... I, I agree. It is the only thing they have. And I think the defense did basically the only thing you can do, present another expert who's going to make the jury question what they know about DNA. Yeah. Yeah. And just really lean hard in that closing argument on they haven't proven this beyond a reasonable doubt. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's the only thing you can do. Yeah. Yeah. So in closing arguments, the prosecution said that there was only one way Jerry Burns' DNA got into that car and on that dress. And that was when Jerry got into the car with Michelle, attacked her, and cut himself in the struggle, leaving a trail of blood behind. The prosecutor told the jury that Michelle had interacted with at least half a dozen friends on the night of her death. And none of their DNA was found on her or inside her car. Yeah. I think that's a really good argument. Mm Mm-hmm. No, he for sure did this. Yeah. The jury then got the case and they deliberated for less than three hours. And they found Jerry Burns guilty of first degree murder. He was 66 years old at the time of his conviction. Uh, Jerry was actually sentenced like just a couple months later in the middle of COVID. All right. Somehow, I don't know what I was doing. They were still having stuff. (laughs) So they even had in court, like he's in there with a mask on and they did social distancing in the courtroom. Before Jerry was sentenced, he gave a short statement to the court and he said he was innocent. He said that somebody else had killed Michelle. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very sorry. Did he sneeze in the he middle of his statement? Oh, he did I'm not. so sorry. You're fine. He said that somebody else had killed Michelle that night, and he didn't know who they were or why they did it. Before he was sentenced, his attorney made a motion for a new trial because some new evidence had been uncovered. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A private investigator. I don't know who it was hired by. Okay. I'm assuming the defense All right. had tracked down a music teacher, Catherine Berkey, who taught private piano lessons and that she taught Michelle piano lessons and had a Michelle on uh, Michelle. She had a lesson scheduled with Michelle inside the Westdale night, the night that Michelle was murdered. What did inside, I say? At the West, West Side Mall. Mall. Did I say West Side night? I think so. Let me let me back this up. No, Sorry, I Patty. like Cut the all idea of, that. <laughs> of getting inside a night and having a lesson inside that night. Okay, so the new evidence was this music ding, teacher. Ding. That's the sound of... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Catherine Berkey <laughs> was this woman. I'm sorry. <laughs> who taught private piano lessons. Inside a night. Inside the Westdale Mall and had an appointment <laughs> with Michelle at 8.30 the night that she was murdered. Okay. So the defense argued. How, what does. The, okay. Th- th- this is the thing that I don't, I don't think yeah. matters at all. So they argued that this meant that Michelle had a regular routine. She regularly took these lessons. They were at the mall. Somebody close to her knew she would be at the mall that night and clearly followed her and attacked her. That's what this evidence You don't get shows. a new trial for that. That's what the judge said, too. You get out of here. Yeah. yeah. The judge said that would not have changed the verdict in this case. No. No. 
And then the judge sentenced Jerry Burns to life in prison without the possibility of parole. There are some questions about whether Jerry Burns was involved in any other murders or missing persons cases. Yeah. Okay, so his first wife, Patricia, died by suicide in 2008. And his cousin went missing in December of 2013. Oh, God. Police have said publicly that they have no reason to suspect that Jerry was involved in either of those cases. Yeah, but did they, like, make big eyes as they said it? Like, <laughs> so, know. like, we know what they mean by it. Okay, so there's one other weird thing, and I thought this was so weird. Okay. Hold on, hold on. Talking about the first wife, when you say she died by suicide, was it a suspicious death? I don't know. Or? That's oh, okay. all I know. Okay. She died by suicide in 2008. Okay. Make the big eyes at me if you think something's up. Oh, all right. Uh, the, I'm I'm big eyes at this next thing, really. Okay. After Jerry had been arrested and was sitting in the back of the p- police cruiser with Detective Denlinger, mm-hmm. he out of nowhere brings up the case of Jody Husentrout. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Jody was a news anchor who disappeared. She was believed to have been kidnapped outside of her car in her apartment complex parking lot in 1995. And she's never been found. She lived like in Mason City, Iowa, which is two hours away from where Jerry lived at that time. Oh, my God. He just brings this case up out of nowhere in the back of this police car. That's really weird. Yep. Police have declined to say whether they are investigating his possible involvement Mm -hmm. in that case. Mm -hmm. That's what I have big eyes at. They have big eyes about it, too. Yeah. And the listeners are all listening with very big eyes. You're about to have big eyes when I tell you this next part. I've always wanted my eyes to be bigger. (laughs) Are you ready? I think you need to buckle your seatbelt for this one. (laughs) Okay. What? Jerry Burns has appealed his conviction. Based on what? Well, just wait. And he got a very well-known attorney to represent him in his appeal. Would you like to guess who his attorney is? Kathleen Zellner. Sure fucking is. What the fuck? Okay, tell me more. Mm -hmm. Okay. So his appeal is based on the fact that he believes the collection of his DNA evidence was unconstitutional. When they collected his straw, they violated his constitutional right to privacy. I thought this was pretty well established that if you leave something behind, if you discard something, Mm -hmm. then that's it. Sorry, you're done. Kathleen Zellner says that the lower court shouldn't have allowed in a warrantless extraction of Burns' DNA because it is a violation of his Fourth Amendment right. She called it an Orwellian use of police power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I so disagree with this. Hmm. So they argue that though Burns discarded his straw, that didn't then automatically allow police to search that straw for DNA. 
in this brief, they said, against this backdrop, to hold that defendant abandoned his expectation of privacy in his DNA simply by going about his day is intellectually dishonest. Hmm. The appeal concludes that there is insufficient evidence to convict Jerry Burns of murder because Only DNA if you take the DNA away because DNA is transferable and it's not enough to prove him guilty. Except that it is. Except that it is. Now, I agree that sometimes we put way too much emphasis on DNA. Mm-hmm. I get that, but mm-hmm. in this case, mm-hmm. when it's on her car, it's on her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think so. I don't either. The ACLU also argued in defense of Jerry Burns. Yeah. They said the same thing, that people have a reasonable expectation of privacy when it comes to their DNA, and the extraction and sequencing of Burns' DNA was an unconstitutional seizure. Shit. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting, and I hate yeah, it. I hate it so much. Hmm. Yeah. So this appeal went all the way to the Iowa Supreme, Supreme Court. And in March of 2023, uh-huh. they upheld his conviction. Okay. But it was a split decision. I bet it was. I mean, here's, the, here's what I hate about it. Mm-hmm. And I really hate about it. Yeah. Is the more I think about it, the more I'm like, okay, yeah, I, oh, God damn it. I do, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's kind of reasonable to say, yeah, when you go to a restaurant and you leave a straw behind, mm-hmm. it's reasonable to expect that that will just be thrown away mm-hmm. i i believe that mm-hmm. at the same time fuck this guy yeah. i don't care yeah but if i say fuck it to this guy then i say it to fuck it to all the I other know. guys am i prepared I to say oh god damn it. i know i have really complicated feelings about this mm-hmm. yeah so the dissenters in this case and basically kathleen zellner and the aclu kind of all argue the same thing that DNA contains so much personal information that it has to be protected at a different level than other things, than, say, a fingerprint or something like that. Because that's how the prosecution argues this. They're like, this is no different than collecting somebody's fingerprint. Well, that's that's a good mm-hmm. argument from the prosecution, mm-hmm. huh? Ooh, I'm on the side of the prosecution again. <laughs> I know. So I, the Iowa... State law and Iowa Constitution Uh uh has a special, like, exception to search and seizure laws, Uh like, with specifically regarding DNA collection, if the person is under criminal investigation. Hmm. So, yes, you can't just go out collecting anybody's DNA surreptitiously that you want to. Right. But if they are under a criminal investigation, you can Okay, And so that's ultimately and they determined that the interpretation of the United States Constitution is the same thing. So this was not unconstitutional. Mm -hmm. And then they upheld his 
conviction. Way to make me feel weird. I know. I feel so weird about it. <laughs> do you really, though? Because I, I truly I felt do. like you. No, I truly feel so weird about it because, I mean, I respect the ACLU and I respect Kathleen Zellner. And so for them to be arguing things that I'm like, bull fucking shit. It's like, well, no, that does make kind of makes sense. But I don't know. I feel very complicated about it. Yeah. Yeah. What? Nothing. <laughs> couldn't just present a simple case, could you? I couldn't. I couldn't. Here's the bad guy, bing, bang, boom, and then we're done. No. No, couldn't do it. Well, thanks a lot. Yeah. So this is interesting. So this is kind of the ACLU's um, take on this after mm-hmm. the judgment came down. So they said, Nobody consents to turn over our full genetic code to the government just because we involuntarily shed our DNA on items that we touch. God damn it. They're right. I know. God damn it. Our DNA can reveal incredible details about us from our proclivity to genetic diseases, to our ancestry and paternity, to our appearance. As the dissent points out, the majority's opinions analysis leaves Iowans vulnerable to government collection of their DNA upon a police officer's merest whim. We think this goes against the common sense and values of most Iowans. Hmm. All right, Brandy. All right. In response to the ruling coming down from the Iowa Supreme Court, Jerry Burns' attorney, Nick Curran, who was representing him this time, worked hand in hand with Kathleen Zellner. He said that he was deeply disappointed in the decision. He continued on, the decision undermines an individual's reasonable expectation of privacy in their genetic makeup and subjects every Iowa citizen's DNA to collection and analysis by law enforcement without probable cause. Mr. Burns asserts that he is innocent of the murder of Michelle Martinko, and he will continue to fight against his unjust conviction. Hmm. What do you got to say about that, Kristen? Nothing. (laughs) Oh, man. I know, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. But here's the deal, is that, okay, they had this sample, work this case without getting the straw in between. Mm -hmm. Don't you get the same result? They got to Jerry Burns because of the genetic genealogy. Would that have been enough probable cause to secure a warrant at that time? That's what I don't know. Couldn't they just have skipped the straw step? Probably not. You think that's not enough probable cause? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not, though. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like, uh, that's outside of my area of expertise. I don't know how much they have to... It's inside my area of expertise. (laughs) (laughs) No, I feel like it's it's not. Because if it was, they would have just done that way. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But instead, you're going after... However many first cousins this Mm -hmm. one person Mm -hmm. has. Yeah. And, you know, it happens to be three, which I don't think is too terribly Mm -hmm. many, but like. Yeah. It's complicated. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, on the flip side of this, the prosecution gave this statement after this result came down from the Supreme Court. This case, oh, they called it an absolute relief. And then they said, this case has loomed over our community for over 43 years. This opinion confirms the groundbreaking and superb work of law enforcement and acknowledges the hard work and dedication that generations of officers and this prosecuting team put into this case. Our hearts are with the surviving members of Michelle's family and her friends today at this, as this stage of the case comes to a close and justice was served once again. Janelle and John Stonebreaker, Michelle's sister and brother-in-law, say they are pleased with the outcome after all of these years. Mm-hmm. But they say they aren't celebrating because they know that the Burns family is now dealing with unimaginable pain. Yeah. I think that's really it's, amazing of them. Yeah. Yeah. And I can see how you would have sympathy. Mm-hmm. I mean... Assuming he did this, mm-hmm. which, again, I think he absolutely did so it. You can't help but feel sorry for a family mm-hmm. who yeah. has lived what was probably a fairly normal standard life. Yeah. And then yeah. all of a sudden, yeah. everything changes. Yep. Oof. Yeah. And that is the story of the murder of Michelle Martinko. Yeah. Also... Stonebreaker? What was Stonebreaker? Yeah, that's, that's their the last coolest name. last name it's I've a ever heard. Really cool last name. I, I came across this little bit of information about John Stonebreaker, actually. So, IowaColdCases.org mm-hmm. is a, an organization that highlights, I don't know if you can put this together, but Iowa Cold Cases. <laughs> they received an anonymous letter, like sometime, I don't know, in the late 90s or early 2000s, telling them. That John Stonebreaker murdered Michelle Martinko. Okay. That he was the real culprit here. And they passed it along to the investigators. But investigators told them that John had offered up a DNA sample years ago and that he had been cleared. He had voluntarily given a DNA sample and it was not him. Mm -hmm. Does John do porn? Because, I mean, John Stonebreaker, that just sounds like a porn name, don't you think? I think his wife was like a fifth grade teacher. I'm not sure what he did. Well, you know, just because your wife's a fifth grade teacher <laughs> doesn't mean you are a porn star. Don't try to box people in, Brandy. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you know what? It it doesn't sound like a porn name. What it sounds like is like you pick up a really stupid romance novel, and that's mm. the love interest name. Mm. See, like, I think he sounds like, like you a don't strong like man. Like he's doing the world's strongest man. Well, yeah, he's going to be buff as shit. He's lifting, that, he's lifting that Africa yeah. stone, and you know whatever. Africa stone. What's an Africa you stone? Have you seen the Africa stone? It's a stone that's shaped like Africa. And he's <laughs> no like what a thousand pounds, and they got to get. Oh, hold on. <laughs> Do they have like stones for all the continents? No, I think it's just Africa because it's the perfect shape for them to like bear hug it. Oh, it is a good hugging shape, (laughs) isn't it? (laughs) Hold on. (laughs) Yeah, Australia would be a mess. Africa stone strongman. Hold on. Let me see if I can find an image of this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Look at that guy holding that Africa stone. Well, he looks really stupid. Here's the thing. There's no way to look cool when you hug a stone, <laughs> is what I'm seeing. I mean, these guys are buff as shit, but, like, they yeah. look dumb. Yeah. The, you know what? They look like little kids who have just won a huge teddy bear oh, at the amusement yeah. park. 
And then they have to carry it around all day. How much does it weigh? I don't know what that means. 182 kilograms. Oh, I know what that means. Isn't it 2.2? Yeah, so you double it and then you add a little something for flavor. Okay. That's... All right. Anyway, are you not going to congratulate me? For Good job. Yeah. No, I'm very, uh-huh. I'm very impressed. Anyway, yeah, John Stonebreaker. How do you know about the Africa? St- Is that like some weird Olympic thing you watch? No, it's a strong. It's from the strongman competition. You never watch a strongman competition? No, but I would love to. It's fucking amazing. They move cars. They also have these like giant boulders that they have to put on like a higher and higher like stand and i think the boulders <laughs> get like heavier as they go so they're getting heavier and you have to put them higher uh-huh oh, it's fucking cool what channel do you watch it's on, i don't ESPN, know it's like on esp right? it's on the ocho or something <laughs> okay these are channels i never go to the ocho i have no idea what you're even talking about that's from that's dodgeball like, oh it's espn 8 the ocho okay it's where they aired the dodgeball competition great okay <laughs> glad we tracked that joke down <laughs> couldn't have let that one go 385 pounds is how much the africa stone weighs mm-hmm. yeah that's meaty yeah it's a real meaty one it is <laughs> if you had to do a strongman competition what what event would you most look forward to you think I got, I got to do a leg one. That's where all my yeah. strength is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, can I can I can I kick an a boulder? Can I do kick a boulder? Kick a boulder. Well, not like a push. You're like going to break push. your legs. Oh, for sure. Yeah. What do I what do I do with my legs? That's going to be like I've a pulling. I've never seen this. Oh, it's going to be like a pulling thing. That that's all in the legs. Oh, okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. I'm going to pull the semi. I'm pulling right. the semi. Very good. Yep. Can't pull a fucking semi. Hey, <laughs> if you can dream it. <laughs> I like the idea of the camera zooms in on you. You're pulling the semi. You got sweat just pouring off you. It's like, whoa, she's doing it. And you see the trucks moving. But then they pan over and I'm driving the truck. Mm -hmm. Slowly, though, just to help you along. Okay. (laughs) Like, I'm really doing most of the work. No, you're not doing most of the work. The truck is doing most of the work. But you're doing so much. Why can't you make me believe that I'm doing most of the work? Just make me feel better this about is, it. This Listen, is I'm already not doing as good as up I'm already not doing as good as the actual strong men. So can't you let me have just a little bit, Brandy? <laughs> what I am describing to you is us tricking the strong men people. Okay, <laughs> right. But at the end, like I need like a little bit. Just like yeah, that was mostly you. Like, don't be delusional. <laughs> Don't be delusional. Let me be delusional. We are cheating in a competition of strengths. You don't get to also believe that somehow yeah, you're like, you know, super I can't, strong. I can't cheat. I can't cheat. I can't handle the cheating. So, <sighs> fine. I'm gonna have to find someone else to pretend to pull that truck. Well, this has been an exciting conversation. <laughs> And I think it's time to move on to answer some questions from our Discord. Discord. You know what? Oh my gosh, we're such hot dummies. We forgot to plug our Patreon. At oh the yeah, of give this. the people a butt plug right now, ma'am. Everyone, join our Patreon at the five dollar level or higher. You get a ton of bonus episodes. Forty nine of them, in fact. We tell two cases a piece on there. Wait, no, that's that was wrong. One case a piece <laughs> on there. <laughs> I was like, what? You did two fucking cases? I only did one. Yeah. 
so lazy. <laughs> you also get all kinds of other stuff. Today, I don't mean to make you feel jealous, but we had a Zoom call with our yeah. patrons. It's and a good time. Boy, did we enjoy it. Yeah. And boy, would you like to, we would like <laughs> to be there next month. So, Boy, would you yeah. like to be there and boy, would we like you to be there. There we go. You just cover all those bases. Aren't we glad I didn't tell a story today? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, then we get in our Discord and we ask, hey, do you have any questions? We're about to record. And then you ask some and we answer some. You really nailed it. I did. I did great, <laughs> obviously. Ooh, Katie0636 wants to know, what's your favorite thing to do to unwind? I have a new one that I've been doing. What is it? What, what are you, weirdo? What? What are you doing over there? I've been playing golf solitaire on my phone, and it's so fun. <laughs> What's golf solitaire? Um, <laughs> it's this solitaire game. <laughs> Hold on, let me show you. Okay, okay. so each <laughs> each hole is like a little golf course. Okay, and it's just like regular. It's like it's like this different version of solitaire where you like each the cards are in a different layout uh-huh. each time the goal is to clear them all yes. but each each course uh-huh. each hole i'm sorry each hole uh-huh. you have a par that you have uh-huh. to beat so you can't leave you know you have to leave less than 3 yes, 4 yes. or 5 cards boy, yeah boy, that's it's wonderful and i love really it really cool <laughs> it's really cool uh so we've been we just started watching succession Oh, Have you watched Succession? I love Succession, yes. Yeah. Now, so I'm not all caught up or anything. Yeah, we're but. in the middle of the second season. Okay. But I love it. And so mm-hmm. that's what we've been doing is I watch Succession and I play golf solitaire. What about you? What do you do to unwind? I, Get in your hot tub? I bl- Oh, my God. I <laughs> fucked up. What do you mean you fucked up? You you dropped spaghetti and meatballs in your hot tub? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. No, you know what I did? I got in it one night and, like, the thing you're supposed to do is after you get out, you do a little chlorine. Yeah. And then you let it run for, like, 15 minutes with the top off yeah. to, you know, clean. If your top is also off, it helps. It absolutely does. <laughs> and so I set my timer for 15 minutes, went and got in the shower. Yeah. Got out of the shower. 15 minutes goes by. I'm not fully dressed to uh-huh. go outside and you know cover yeah. up the hot tub so I was like I'll remember and then I hit stop on my timer and you didn't remember multiple days went by <gasps> fuck I went out with like the leaf blower just to kind of like clear things off I come over the hot tub was dead as a doornail I flew too hot close to the sun I can't have nice things oh, so no. the hot tub like it does still, the jets still run, but it doesn't seem quite right. Oh, so we're going to have no. to get someone out. You're going to have to get a, you got to get a hot tub guy out here. I've seen that porno. <laughs> John Stonebreaker. John Stonebreaker is going to go fix your hot tub. <laughs> and then, oh my gosh, John, I forgot my wallet. I just, I don't have any way to pay you. Mm. And then Norm has to bang him. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only way. <laughs> uh, I I seriously, I was devastated. Technically, I could get in the hot tub, yeah. but I'm punishing myself. I'm yeah. not allowing myself to get into the hot tub because I don't deserve it. Because I, le- I left the top off. I think it's because I was without ADD meds for yeah. about a month. Did you? Do you have them now? Yeah. Finally? Good. Finally. Good, yeah. 
had to blow John Stonebreaker to get him. <laughs> no, the, the pharmacy called. It was all above board. <laughs> I didn't do anything untoward. <laughs> okay, so wait. You didn't tell us what you do to unwind now that you don't have a hot oh, tub Oh, I break to get my into. hot tub. Okay. I also blind buy disgusting fragrances on Costco.com. Everyone. Okay. I was blind shopping for perfumes on Sephora and then like mm-hmm. I, like I had like three in my cart and I was like I can't like these what if these are bad? And yeah. so I abandoned my shopping cart. Yeah, I I have thought about blind buying a fragrance for like a long mm-hmm. time, but I've always been like that's that's ridiculous. Yeah. The risk is too damn high. I know. Well, so I've recently discovered that three, well, no, two of my favorite scents mm-hmm. have the same top note. And yeah. so I'm like, great. If I just look for That's any perfume okay. that has that same top note, no. aren't I going to love it? Danger. Danger. Yeah. And then I got a sample of one. Mm-hmm. And it smells like straight old lady. Yeah. So I picked it as my sample when I ordered something else from Sephora. Mm-hmm. And I was like, great. Like, this is going to be the test. Like, yeah. It smells terrible. <laughs> You know what? I miss the days when we would receive magazines. Yes, you get a little. Yes, that's what I need in my life. I know. No, I yeah. You bought me a perfume after we liked how it smelled yes. in one of those. Yes. yes. So anyway, everyone, I <laughs> I read up on Costco <laughs> about this fragrance. I did the thing that Brandy said of like, oh, those top notes I like. Yeah. All those. Oh my God! It arrived today. I was so excited. I put some on. I I smell like every church lady mm-hmm. that has ever been. Yeah. I smell my wrist and I smell every funeral I've ever mm-hmm. attended. I smell yeah. every family wedding. I mean, mm-hmm. anytime any mm-hmm. woman of Sunaid. Yeah. Oh, God. I Anyway, that's yeah. that's enough about my problems. <laughs> point is you thought i'd i'd come out with a new signature fragrance no no, no i came out today. with a new signature return that is i am shocked as shit that a tom ford fragrance could smell that bad see i don't think it's that it's that bad it's because to me it is expensive it's not, you're, you're right it's not bad it's old just lady. old lady yeah you're right you're right it's just not our taste yeah tom ford black orchid not for me yeah turns out uh, Persephone's mom, who announced to us on the Zoom call that she is with child, says, ladies, what the heck am I going to name this baby boy? How do I match Persephone? I'm here with the answer. What In is Kristen's it? honor, you have to name him Icarus. Oh, yes. <laughs> and young Icarus will ruin hot tubs till the end of time. Can you believe I ruined my hot tub? I cannot. Tub? Honestly, I'm shocked. I was and am devastated. devastated. Yeah, you got to get a guy out here. I know. And unfortunately, Norm is going to have to have sex with him. <laughs> <laughs> what if the guy doesn't even want it? <laughs> then everyone's disappointed. <laughs> Except for me, because I'd be in my hot tub. And I'd be like, I'm not going to screw this up again. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. What? Oh my gosh. All right. What is it? Lazy Lesbian Biz says, Kristen, are you aware 
that you were the first person to bring up and sing Christmas shoes on this podcast? Really? What do you have to say about the monster you have created? <laughs> Sir, I want to buy these oh shoes Fuck. for my mama, please. Uh-huh. It's Christmas Eve and these shoes are just I am Dr. Frankenstein. <laughs> Could you hurry, sir? I'm Daddy says there's Oppenheimer. not much time. I'm going to spend three hours telling you about myself. She's been sick for quite a while, and I know the shoes. You might be interested smile, in the women in I my life, but to look beautiful. Don't worry about mama them. Mama meets Jesus tonight. <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs> Oh, Doppendit says, I just discovered there's an Andy's frozen custard in Atlanta. What should I get? Okay, get yourself a snow monster. It's mm-hmm. my favorite. All right. It's a it's a concrete. Mm-hmm. It's got, it's, it's vanilla custard, strawberries, <laughs> melted chocolate chips. So they get like ribboned through there, but then they harden because the custard is cold, obviously. Mm-hmm. That's, you should get that. Kristen, what's your recommendation? I shan't tell you because you always make fun of my delicious... She's making the nastiest face. She's going to say you should get the strawberry shortcake. Well, you can't anymore because oh, it's it out of season. Out of season. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> sorry to disappoint you, but the strawberry shortcake is quite good. It's not because the shortcake's the wrong texture. It's like no, cornbread, it's not like pound cake. It's Who doesn't like cornbread? In my ice cream? Fuck off. <laughs> Ice cream can hear you, Brandy. <laughs> Ooh, a federal court's dozen wants to know, can you whistle? Can you whistle? No. You can't? Mm-mm. I can whistle, but only like traditional, like pretty quiet whistle. Lisa, my stepmom, she can do this crazy whistle that can be heard from miles away where she puts like her two fingers in her mouth and uh-huh. like it is wild. It's so fucking loud. It amazes me. How'd she learn how to do that? I don't know. You don't know the backstory of no, I how her, one I think gets... her dad can do it too. And so he taught so her. So it's in the genes. Maybe. All right. Yeah, I bought it from Levi. Huh. <laughs> it's a denim joke (laughs) yep yep people didn't get it but now they understand Uh uh-huh oh okay antihistamine asks what's something you should have known but weren't made aware of until much too late in life for example i thought egypt was a continent until i was 16 (laughs) okay i just learned this a couple years ago i think that like (laughs) and it makes so much sense if you know the properties of math okay percentages are interchangeable so eight percent of 25 Mm -hmm. is also 25 percent of eight which is much easier to calculate (laughs) Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, I've known that for a really long time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just learned that like two years ago. Say that again. So percentages are interchangeable. So uh-huh. 8% of 25 uh-huh. is the same as 25% of 8, which yeah, is that's way much, easier to much calculate. Much easier to calculate. All yes. right, very good. Very good. <laughs> Well, I've already told mine on this podcast. Yeah. It's that I didn't know the difference, difference between, between turkey, and turkey and ham until I was much too old. 
in fairness to me, that's a pretty advanced concept. <laughs> okay. Should we read some Supreme Court yeah, inductions? Let's do it. To get inducted on this podcast, all you have to do is join our Patreon at the $7 level or higher. And then we will uh, induct you and we will, this time, we are reading mm-hmm. your names and your first celebrity crushes. Katie Peterson. Keanu Reeves. Megan O'Donnell. Joey McIntyre. Amanda S. David Lee Roth. Stacy Cathers. Jeremy Jackson. Veronica G. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Aaron Hewitt. Ben Savage and Danielle Fischel. I wanted to be in a thruple. Well, sure. <laughs> like Corey and Topanga. <laughs> Amazing. Lisa Wilder. Nick Carter. Patricia Willis. Cam Gigandent. Gig- <laughs> it's pretty close. What is it? Gigandet is how I think it's pronounced. Okay. I'm not positive. Let me though. say that again. Cam Gigandet from Twilight. Kristen. Nick Lachey. Martha Dominguez. JTT. Chelsea Thomas. Ryder Strong. Morgan Boulanger. Chase Crawford. <laughs> she said it was pronounced with the French pronunciation, folks. So obviously, I had no Brandy choice. did a bang up job. <laughs> Sarah Palkowitz. Devin Sawa. Ashley C. Henry Cavill. Dee Dee Adams. Link from the Legend of Zelda games. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> Melissa Laurent. Shamar Moore. Andrea Steele. Patrick Swayze. Kelsey Funk. Zach Hansen. Sophie Melly. Benji from Good Charlotte. Kate Crane. Axel Rose. Amanda Taylor. Jason Bateman, I think I you mean Bateman. Bateman. Gosh, Amanda. <laughs> Jeez. Kara Wan. Brandon Boyd. Charlotte Moore. Michael Jackson from the You Rock My World video. <laughs> and in parentheses, I know, I know. <laughs> Zoe Benoit. Tim McGraw and Cameron Diaz. Specifically in the mask, in that red dress. Yes. Yeah, yep. I, totally mm-hmm. understandable. We all get it. We do. Welcome to the Supreme Court. Thank you, everyone, for all of your support. We appreciate it so much. If you're looking for other ways to support us, please find us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Patreon. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And then head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review. Then be sure to join us next week. When I'll be an expert on a whole new topic. Podcast adjourned. And now for a note about our process. I copy and paste from the best sources on the web and sometimes Wikipedia. So we owe a huge thank you to the real experts. I got my info from an episode of Dateline, an episode of 48 Hours, ChillingCrimes.com, Little Village Magazine, The Des Moines Register, CBS2, Iowa News, and Wikipedia. For a full list of our sources, visit LGTCPodcast.com. Any errors are, of course, ours, but please don't take our word for it. Go read their stuff. Woo!